right, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church. Take your song handouts, page number 170. Hallelujah, what a Savior. and what have you and first time I sung this I was a little bit taken back but then I started thinking about the words and you talk about some rich meaning in this wonderful hymn and so uh, I'm, I'm glad that brother uh, Coppinger picked this hymn uh, it's about our savior and uh, we're singing hallelujah what a savior and wouldn't you agree with me here this morning that our savior's worthy He's worthy of glory. I'm going to ask that again because that was a little bit weak response. And I know that you agree with me better than that response indicated. Wouldn't you agree that our Savior is worthy of glory and praise? Amen. He certainly is. Welcome to the service this morning. Let's continue on this great hymn. On your verses. Here we go. The King James stands like a rock, undaunted mid the raging storms of time. Its pages burn with the truth. James 
singing here this morning. Uh, this is our last Sunday of the year. This is uh, next. Uh, the next time we meet here on a Sunday, it will be 2022. And so I cannot believe that 2021 has already passed. And uh, so I, I don't know what 2022 holds, but maybe this will be the year. Amen. But in the meantime, let's uh, continue to be faithful and worship and serve the Lord as I've already said here this morning as he is worthy. All right, handful of announcements. First of all, Wednesday we are uh, having church. Uh, We're having Bible study as well as our annual uh, budget meeting. And so if you haven't uh, looked over the proposed budget, you can find those on the rack out there in the foyer. If you have any questions about the proposed budget, you can ask them of myself or one of the deacons, Brother W.B. Sharp, Brother Ralph Harding right there in the back, or Brother Randy Kimberlin. And uh, he's roaming around out in the foyer causing all kinds of ruckus and problems. And normally he's a halfway decent guy. But anyhow, appreciate our deacons. They're uh, faithful men and they are a blessing to serve with. So once again, if you have any questions about the budget, you are free to ask those questions before the uh, budget meeting on Wednesday. Uh, We will be studying the Bible. Now, I'm going to just give you a, a little bit of advance notice that I'm not 100% sure what we're going to be studying on Wednesday. We're uh, supposed to be in the book of Proverbs, but I have had literally about half a dozen topics that uh, I've been just kind of been ruminating and feeling like that there's a need to uh, go into them. And uh, a lot of times these topics were all split up on Wednesday night with Master Club and Teen Group. And so uh, I may uh, go ahead and just... Um, do something different on Wednesday, but I'm certainly praying about that. But we are going to be in the Bible. Uh, the business part, meeting part of the service will be just a, a very short uh, period in uh, the service. So uh, Master Club and Youth Group is canceled. Uh, Saturday, January 1st, uh, once again, we are canceling our street ministry as well as the prayer meetings. And then uh, the following Saturday, we're going to be back on uh, everything regular schedule. You might notice here on your, um, on your, um, this week's events, upcoming event, we have January 9th. We will start back up our evening services. And then also on January 2nd, that is next week, we will be opening the nurseries. And so I'm sure that Sister Kim, Beaver would appreciate uh, any and all of you ladies signing up and helping with the nursery. Many hands make light work, and so if everybody will take a turn from time to time, 
then it won't be too much burden and pressure on uh, any any one, two, or three ladies. So your help for that will be greatly appreciated. And then a couple last things that are relevant to the end of the year. First of all, I uh, wanted to remind you that your uh, contributions, tithes and offerings, uh, missions giving and so forth, that if you uh, need uh, to use those for a tax write-off, they will need to be uh, either to us before January 1st, or if you mail them in or uh, give the gift online, it will need to be postmarked uh, before January 1st. So December 31st will be at least, at least be postmarked. Uh, we can get it after that, but it has to be postmarked before we can uh, give you a receipt of charitable contribution for that. Uh, we do have Bible reading calendars for 2022. Uh, those are on the Information Center as well. Uh, we also have these forms for those of you that uh, don't like to skip around in Old Testament and New Testament. You like to just go straight through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This is a great system to do that. These are uh, out there in the Information Center as well. And uh, you might have noticed that tithe envelopes, if you want to pick up a box of tithe envelopes so that you can have that at home and not have to depend on the tithe envelopes that are... Um, do we even have them in the pew? Okay. They're in the box out there. Okay. But we, we, we try to make those available. And uh, maybe one of these days we'll be actually taking up an offering again. I don't know. I, I, I mentioned last week that I missed that because I like picking on the ushers. Uh, especially when they're right in front of me. Now I have to pick on Brother Kimberlin when he's out there and doesn't even have to face the face the the hassle. Anyhow, uh, maybe one day we'll be back to abnormal. Who knows? But uh, and then also we do have for January and February Baptist bread devotionals, and so that's a great devotional, uh, very similar to our daily bread. Only uh, you won't find any other Bible versions in the Baptist bread, and all of those devotionals are written by uh, Bible-believing independent Baptist uh, men, and so uh, uh, be sure and grab those if you like uh, going through a daily devotional. All right, I think I got all of my announcements covered, so let's uh, all stand and sing our last hymn on the back of your handout, What a Savior.
kind of week. We're going to do it. Let's do it right. Amen. All right. Great job, ladies. Even Jessica did a good job with that. Very surprised. I mean, very impressed. Amen. Well, I hope you all had a Merry Christmas and uh, uh, it just seems like uh, everything went so fast this year. And uh, I am wearing a tie that uh, Brother Cody gave me this tie. And so in honor of Brother Cody Shue, I'm wearing this red tie the day after Christmas. And then speaking of Christmas gifts, uh, me and the kids, we all pitched in and bought my wife a wood-fired pizza oven. And we fired that thing up for the first time uh, last night, yesterday evening. And uh, it was, I, I got to admit, I mean, when we're putting this thing together and we're starting the little, you just put these little pieces of firewood in there, and I'm thinking, this is not going to work. And so uh, I was a little bit skeptical about it. And um, anyhow, we got that fire going, and um, my wife came out. She had made uh, the dough, I think, the day before, and so she had the little pizzas made. they just little pizzas about this big. And I'm not kidding you, she, she uh, put that, opened up the front of it, and she slid that in. And as soon as she slid it in, she's like turning it, moving the pizza around, and I'm not kidding you, by the time that that went 360 degrees, it's ready to pull out and eat. Literally 60 seconds. Am I telling the truth, Mrs.? I mean, it took less than a minute to cook that pizza, and here's the, the, the real good part about it. It was incredible. I mean, it was good. I think we're going to eat that every day. But I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I thought, you know, 60 seconds and, you know, probably the outside is toasted, but it's going to be like, you know, dough on the inside. No, it was, it was really, really impressive and a very, very good pizza. So, uh, I want to, I want to thank myself and the kids for getting that from my wife for Christmas. <laughs> Take your Bibles and go to Luke's Gospel, chapter number two. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 2. Looking out, and uh, just like my tie, I still see some red and some green, and I think that it's still, of course, the ladies sang a uh, somewhat Christmas-type song here this morning, and so uh, I, I had planned, and, and um, I had mentioned on Wednesday night that I'm working on a message about the philosophies of this world and um, I was thinking about and praying about preaching that today, and to be quite honest with you, it's just not ready, and I didn't feel that it was something... I know that the Lord wants me to preach it, but I really didn't feel 
that he wanted me to preach that today. And so uh, that is still a work in progress. It's certainly um, a very study. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's just not an easy message that you just crank out from um, you know, putting a few verses together and a few points. It's something that I want to make sure that I've studied it out thorough, and uh, I want to make sure that it is effective. So if you would pray that the Lord would bless and guide with that message. But in the meantime, we're going to take a look at a very Christmas text here this morning, but it's not specifically a Christmas message. In Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 11, the, the Word of God reads like this, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And that last verse is where I draw my text here this morning. I'd like to speak to you on the subject of peace on earth. Would you bow with me as we ask the Lord's blessings on our time together today? Heavenly Father, it's good to be in church today. I thank you, Lord, for the singing, the specials, the, the congregational to sing, Oh, what a Savior. Lord, just for the words, hallelujah, what a Savior to uh, to come across our lips, what a joy and what a privilege. And Lord, you are a wonderful Savior. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time together. Uh, help us to put forth the Word of God uh, clearly, concisely. Lord, may everything that's said today be 100% true. May we not leave anything out that needs to be said. And uh, Lord, help us to understand this world that we live in. Uh, but more importantly, help us to understand uh, what is necessary for us to have what you want us to have. And, and I pray, Father, that you'd bless us. If there be anyone under the sound of our voice today that is without Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to them, show them their need, and uh, most importantly, point them, point their hearts toward the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the cross of Calvary. Uh, help us, Lord, to not say anything in any way that would distract from you accomplishing your will. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't remember a time in my life when there wasn't some sort of focus on world peace. In my short life, I've lived through the Vietnam War. Of course, I was just a boy, but I remember as a boy that a lot of talk, uh, a lot of things that you would just hear about the Vietnam War. Then, of course, that ushered in what we affectionately call the Cold War, the arms race. And of course, when I was, when I was young, everybody was, not everybody, but there were many people that were thinking, we need to build bomb shelters, and we need to protect ourselves from Russia. And everybody was afraid that Russia was going to send nuclear warheads our way, and so it was all Russia, Russia, Russia. And thankfully, um, God raised up President Ronald Reagan, who had enough 
backbone and insight to know that um, that you're not going to resolve what was going on in this world through treaties. Uh, we all know what treaties mean. Not much. And so, um, you know, treaties have not been the answer, but Ronald Reagan, he... Um, he basically developed or allowed a military to be developed here in the USA that basically the strength of it pretty much backed everybody off. And so everybody, for the most part, settled down. And, um, you know, we've enjoyed a lot of peace through that strength. And let's face it, until we were attacked in the war on terror, America has typically not been the world bully. Uh, we've often been the world police force. We've often been the one that send our boys to go and suffer and die because other nations can't handle their own problems. And so we, for the most part, we've not been perfect, but we've been a very good nation to this world. We have sent billions upon billions of taxpayer money to for human aid to help other parts of, of the world, and in many cases, even parts of the world that literally hate our guts but cash our checks. Today, we are dealing with some of the same insecurities and fears. Now we're worried about China, we're worried about North Korea, we're worried about Iran, and then again, we're worried once again about Russia. And so all of that is talk and chatter. It's in the news media. It's in people's conversations. And it's certainly in the back of all of our minds as to what tomorrow holds for the United States of America. And that is one thing, whether you liked him or not, but the previous president for really about all four years that he was in office we didn't have to worry about any of those things that we're having to worry about today. And that is because, once again, like him or dislike him, he, he showed forth a strong hand that we're going to do good and we're going to do right, but you better not mess with us. And by the way, you study the Word of God, is that not what the righteous kings would do in Israel and in Judah? They would be good kings, but they had the blessings of God and they were strong enough. David, including the man after God's own heart, he would do good and he would do righteous. But if you messed with him, you're probably going to lose. And that's what benevolent leaders do. And that's what benevolent, strong leaders ought to do. But when we think about it, peace and goodwill... It's what everyone talks about, it's what everyone wants, but seldom, seldom do we actually do the things that promote peace on earth. Why is that? Well, it's really quite simple. Mankind is hopelessly selfish. Times of peace, and I believe that what I'm getting ready to say, history bears witness to the truth of this statement, even though I didn't read this from any other author. This is an observation. Times of peace are usually characterized by things going one person or one entity's way, while the other person or the other entity, whether it be a nation or whatever, a group of people, they're putting up with things going the other person's way because 
they're powerless to do anything about it. But when status quo changes, and they think that they might have enough power to do something about it, then they rise up and they try to do something about it. And that's the way that humanity for the last, really for the entire history of the human race, we have cycles of what I just described. I googled world peace, and uh, I just, I kind of just said to myself, I know that there's probably going to be, I mean, a gazillion articles on world peace from all different perspectives, but I kind of, when I googled it, I kind of said to myself, I'm going to give you the the number one thing that pops up. And so I'm going to give that to you here today. Now, just because it's on the screen, let me just tell you, please get this, that what I'm getting ready to show you is not the truth. I'm just simply giving you an understanding of what the world has to say about world peace. And so this is what popped up. It's from the New Internationalist. Now, when, when this, when this came up, the New Internationalist, this was the logo that came up with this article. Now, if you've been around uh, any length of time, if you made it through the 60s and 70s, you probably know what imagine means. It's a reference to a song written by one of the Beatles by the name of John Lennon. John Lennon is no longer on planet Earth today. I would have to say he's probably in planet Earth today. The heart of it. Now, before I read these ten things about world peace that comes from this organization, I want to read to you the lyrics of Imagine, because if they are promoting that song, then certainly there's something about that song that means something to them. Here's the lyrics to Imagine, and I'm not going to sing it because I love y'all. But I guarantee you, you've all heard it either somewhere, probably with a movie or perhaps with, you know, sometimes you'll get this song in the background at the end of the year when they recap all of the world events and all of the the things that happened in the previous year. But you've heard it, no doubt. It goes like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. I think it's safe to say that any intelligent American, 
Christian or non-Christian, can see the error and the folly of this man's line of thinking and anyone who would promote this line of thinking. I understand that religion certainly has caused much conflict in this world, but I also know that doing away with religion, and listen, we are living in a country that religion is more and more being crowded out of our culture, and the violence and the unrest and the turmoil is rising at the same level that God is being pushed out of our culture. And that's just an observable fact by anyone that... Um, that is not brainwashed by the media. And so I'm going to give you these 10 things, and I've kind of condensed their commentary with these points to the most important point that they're trying to make. Number one, they said, start by stamping out exclusion. Evidence shows that conflict happens in places where people can't trust the police or get access to justice. And their prospects for a decent life are stolen by corrupt elites. Now, here's an interesting point that I forgot to mention. This was written in 2018, not 2021. Number two, bring about true equality between women and men. The larger a country's gender gap, the more likely it is to be involved in violent conflict. In contrast, when women participate in peace processes, peace is more likely to endure. I, you know, I would ask, and I'm not, I, I don't have time to preach and counter all of these points. I think that if you are familiar with the Word of God, you're going to recognize the falsehood right away. Would you not agree that what I just read about statement number two is certainly unbiblical to the core. Number three, you'll like this one. Share out wealth fairly. According to a World Bank survey, 40% of those who join rebel groups do so because of a lack of economic opportunities. Relative poverty is just as important with more equal societies marked by high levels of trust and low levels of violence. The systemic transfer of wealth from rich to poor, instead of the other way around, improves security for everyone. So somebody's supposed to redistribute the wealth from the rich to the poor. I, I, I think about that and I think, how did the rich get their richness? They got it somehow, right? And I realize some of them might have inherited it, but many of them worked for it, right? And so if somebody has less than them, somebody's got to come along and play Robin Hood and rob from the rich and give to the poor. How do you do that? Without conflict. Because I got news for you, the rich... People who have things that worked hard for them are not just waiting around saying, somebody come get what I have from me and give it to the people that don't want to work. I think you can see the folly in this. Number four, tackle climate change. <laughs> there, there you go. That's got to be important, right? 
All of the problems, all of the, the lack of peace is because of climate change. Ecological stress from global warming is proven to exacerbate conflicts. Really, it's proven. They haven't even proved global warming yet, let alone conflicts resulting from it. A functioning climate deal is the greatest peace deal the world could have. You know, it just sounds to me like maybe there's an agenda behind all of these, right? Number five, control arms sales. The promotion of arms sales and heavy spending on aggressive military capabilities is heightening global tensions. The proliferation of arms drives conflict and makes violence more likely. Arms treaty signatories must be held to their word as we build evidence of violations. I'm sorry, I can't even hardly continue reading this. So, <laughs> we have to, <laughs> we have to start having some arms treaties. And if people don't keep that treaty, then we're gonna have to make them keep that treaty. <laughs> Duh! How are you gonna do that? Well, you're gonna have to go to war with them. My goodness, this is insanity. I'll skip the rest of this one and move to the number six. Display uh, less hubris, uh, make more policy change. If you're not familiar with the word hubris, it simply means uh, excessive confidence or arrogance. And And you know what? This was written in 2018. I think I know who they were talking about. A look at the track record of counterterrorism, the war on drugs, stabilization and state-building efforts in colonial wars shows a pattern of largely very sobering failure, says Safe World's Larry Atry. Humility and willingness to atone for... Listen to this. Humility and willingness to atone for past aggression on the international stage is essential. So... If, if two generations ago did something unjust, then we're supposed to take responsibility for it and atone for that. And then how about this one? Or this is the same point, but listen to the last part of what they said. Uh, it says that, um, as it, as is an end to the self-serving and counterproductive policy, in the Middle East. So what they're doing is they're saying that our backing Israel is not contributing to world peace, but rather to world conflict. They're saying we got to fix that. The Word of God says we ain't doing near enough. Number seven, protect political space. If governments expect young Marginalized people to embrace an open society rather than pursue more violent and vengeful paths, they must allow public dissent. Across, as you can see here, these people, this new internet, they are not interested in world peace. They're interested in liberal, globalistic agenda. They're not saying we want peace with the people that we disagree with, we're saying we want to get them out of power and we want in power. We want the status quo to change, 
Right now, we're powerless. We can't seem to do anything because we've got a president in the office that's one. And so that's all they're doing is saying, we want status quo to change. Number eight, fix intergenerational relations. Much conflict can be understood as a youth revolt against established corrupt systems run by generally older men. What have I been saying about this younger generation? They have a problem with authority. They are being taught in the school systems and the educational uh, churches of America. And that's what they are. They're being taught liberal humanism, and at the core of that is that there should be no respect for authority, and so the older generation needs to learn how to let the younger generation do whatever they want and get whatever they want. Number nine, build an integrated peace movement. Short-term anti-war movements have taken the place of active and permanent peace movements, we need to promote nonviolent alternatives and successes. Well, that, that's just, that's, that's a whole mouthful of nothing is what that is. And then number 10 actually isn't so bad. I'll, you know, I'll end this segment of my message with this. They said, look within. Peace starts with you. Ordinary citizens can make a difference. When's the last time you said sorry? Think about who loses when you win. Are the people around you heard and respected or marginalized, ignored, and left out, and so forth? Well, that's, that's a pretty uh, truthful and obvious point that I think ought to, uh, ought to be what we all take a look at, which brings me to the next statement that I'd like to make, and that is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9, verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That is a descriptive title of the nature of our Savior. He is the Prince of Peace. The New Internationalist that I just showed you 10 steps to world peace, and once again, I condensed it considerably. There are thousands of thousands of thousands of opinions on peace that you can find on the internet, at the library, and so forth. But if you ask the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, what the answer is, I'll tell you what Jesus would say. He said it in Matthew 23, verse number 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, even the liberals don't mind commandment number two, loving your neighbor as yourself. But listen, if you don't get number one, you'll never, you'll never have any success with number two. It is in that order and in that priority, and that is exactly what Jesus said if you approached him and said, Lord, what are your thoughts about world peace? And he'd say, you just need to remember and do the two commandments, the two great commandments that are in my Father's law. That's exactly what he would say. Now, that brings me to the next segment of my message, and that is a biblical view of peace. 
as God's children, as believers, we need to have a biblical viewpoint regarding world peace. When we uh, read something in the newspaper, when we uh, when we listen to something on either talk radio or you watch uh, the news media and what they have to say, and they're going to say a lot, and some of it's going to sound very, very good. But if you don't know what the Word of God says, you're going to be easily deceived by the spirit of Antichrist, which, by the way, as we said a couple weeks ago, the spirit of Antichrist, the mystery of iniquity, has been working for the last 2,000 years. He is the God of this world. He has uh, he has authority over the nations of this world. He offered them to Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 when he tempted Jesus Christ. He said, all the kingdoms of this world, he said, I'll give them to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Satan knows, and even Jesus didn't refute that, God the Father gave certain jurisdiction to Lucifer over the nations of this world. That's why, that's why I've said this before. I love our country. I am a patriot. But my love for this nation is very, very secondary to my love for the kingdom in which I was born into, the kingdom of God, the moment that I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. My first loyalty and allegiance is to my King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not my country. I'm thankful for my country. I'm appreciative of the sacrifices that have been made to give us the freedom and the lifestyle that we enjoy, but I attribute that to the God who has blessed us. Once again, you can't have commandment number two if you don't have commandment number one. So a biblical view of peace. This is just introductory to this segment of my message. First of all, there are times when the idea of peace is preposterous. In 2 Kings 9.22, And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? God raised up this man Joram, or excuse me, God raised up Jehu, to go and take care of the house of Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. And of course, behind uh, behind many a wicked man is a wicked woman. And he says, what do you mean peace? As long as Jezebel, your mother, is alive, there is going to be no peace. And she was a murderer, by the way. And so Jehu said to Joram, you know, if you want to live, I'm coming after you with my, my men, my army. If you want her to live, you better throw, somebody better throw her out the window. And some of the princes were up there. They're looking out. They're listening to this conversation. And so they threw her out the window. And she splatted right there, right there. And that didn't break God's heart one bit. 
people that were on God's side realize that she's been killing babies. She's been slaying innocent people. She's been working witchcrafts and whoredoms and turning an entire nation. Listen, do you have any idea how many people are probably burning in hell today because of the influence of Jezebel? Certainly, certainly the death of Jezebel would be no just cause for any bleeding heart whatsoever that has any sense of God and righteousness. There's times when peace is just preposterous. Listen, you can't just put up with a bunch of wickedness and call that peace. That's called compromise. That's called weakness. That's called cowardice. When people like Jezebel are turning people away from God, God says that we're supposed to be vigilant. We're supposed to be sober. Paul said to the church at Philippi, he said, he said, you're partakers with me of not only my bonds, but also the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul said to Philippi, look, look, we've got this camaraderie because we're both in the fight, fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need more of that today, brothers and sisters. Not just sitting on our blessed assurance and doing nothing and coming to church thinking that everything's okay. we got to do something for the Lord because the time is short. Say, well, we got, we got COVID and we got this and we got that. Listen, the time is short. People are dying and going to hell. We better get back busy. Amen. We better start caring once again about more than just ourselves. Not only that, but I would like to say that the desire for peace can be totally selfish. Hey, think about King Hezekiah, a good king, by the way. And he was sick and, 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 and he prayed and, and he said, Lord, please don't let me die. And I'm paraphrasing. And Isaiah came and told him, said, look, God's given you 15 more years. Now, now listen, if you were, if you were given a death sentence and, and, and the doctor said, look, you have X amount of months to live. And the man of God came by and said, Hey, you got 15 more years. God answered your prayer. Hey, that'd be a wonderful thing. Would it not? Let me tell you something, that 15 years of Hezekiah's life, that extension, it ended up being a disaster for his children. His family and the nation of Judah would have been better off if he would have died when he was going to die. This is what he said. Then said Hezekiah and Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? Hezekiah did not continue to serve the Lord with his whole heart when God gave him 15 more years. He started living selfishly. He started saying, hey, look at me. He started trying to impress all of these pagan kings. And all of that wandering and that compromise, God started bringing these, he started showing these kings his treasure. And, and, and they, you know, they leave after the visit and he's like, wow, they were really impressed. And their whole trip home, they're not going, wow, King Hezekiah is wonderful. No, their whole trip home is they're starting to plot and to plan how that they can take away from Hezekiah what God's blessed him with. Isaiah went and told him, look, you didn't render back to the Lord the benefit that he gave you. 
He blessed you in all these ways. He answered your prayer and you totally used it for yourself. That sounds like the average believer today. The Lord, I mean, the Lord died for you. He forgives you of your sins. You are, I mean, your life is a disaster and the Lord shows up and rescues you. And so now you're on your way to heaven and you don't have to worry about going to hell and you just keep living for yourself like, oh, everything's okay. That's not rendering to the Lord the benefit. We should be living our life in gratitude. I mean, we are servants of the Lord and we shouldn't say, well, I have to go to church or I have to do this. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible. We ought to be saying, Lord, thank you for giving me your word. Thank you for giving me the privilege of serving you. It's not always easy, but it's a privilege. And that's the way we ought to think, brothers and sisters. And then, of course, we we all know that Jesus did not come to bring peace and unity, as the majority of Christians would have you deceived into thinking. Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Listen, Jesus is a divider, not a unifier. You get on Jesus' side and the world's going to hate you. And you know what? If you're on Jesus' side, there's things about the world that you're going you're gonna to hate the world too. Not, not necessarily the people that are not saved, but certainly the world system and the sin that's in this world. Jesus went through life, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why is that? Was it because he was always sucking his thumb in a pity party? No, it's because he went through this world with the sorrow and the grief of the wickedness that was around him. And certainly as God's children, we ought to experience some of the same. Do you ever just feel like just depressed or oppressed because of feeling like that all of the wickedness of this world is just caving in and you just you can't do anything to stop it? You just wish you had some kind of a force shield that you could get that world away from you and you don't have that. Jesus went through that same sorrow and that's a part of the Christian life. But he'd also get alone and apart and he'd start praying and he still had the joy of his heavenly father, even though he was living in a very wicked world. We ought to feel the same way. And so that is basically my introduction. And I have two very brief points about world peace that I think are absolutely essential that we all understand. Number one, number one, before there can ever be world peace, or inner peace, we must first make peace with God. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse number 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is conditional. And sadly, most people are unaware of our enmity with the holy God. And when I say most people, sadly, and I say this with a broken heart, I have to include the majority of today's Christian world as well. The average Christian today is not aware 
the, the fact that we are at enmity with a holy God. The prophet Isaiah said in 59, verse 1 through 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Hey, why are people not getting saved today like they were 50 years ago? Why do people seem disinterested in the gospel? It's because of sin and iniquity. Even among believers. I mean, listen, there are churches cropping up. There's probably a new one practically every month in our county, certainly every year. There's all kinds of churches that you can go to, and you can go to every single church service And you will never, you can live a sinful or a worldly or a complacent Christian lifestyle and you can attend those churches and you can enjoy the service and you can worship and you can have a wonderful time and never feel guilty or convicted for how you're living. Say, oh, the Spirit of God showed up in a mighty way. No, it didn't. That was just your emotions being worked up. The same thing happens at a rock concert. The same thing happens at a Celine Dion concert. I don't even know if she's still alive. Who's? <laughs> same thing happens at Josh Groban concert. God bless you, Christians. Same thing. You can work up an emotion... And you can create feelings through music, through stories, through sentiment. But I tell you what, we're living in a day and age where music and sentiment and emotions are not what's needed. What's needed is true Bible conviction and repentance. Listen, God's not going to speak. God's not going to talk to your heart if you're happy in your sin. If you got a hold of sin in your life or it's got a hold of you and you're like, no, you know, I have no plans of changing. I have no plans. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. You're either going to put up with the preacher or you're going to find a preacher that doesn't uh, make you feel bad and you're just going to go through thinking, I'm on my way to heaven. Jesus is wonderful. He loves me just the way that I am. And all of those things are the fact and it come it stems from the fact that we are not taught that we are at enmity with a holy god that's a huge problem preachers are telling you right and left oh god loves you he loves you he loves you he loves you I, I, i'm not saying he doesn't But when you think about God loving the sinner, you've got to think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you think of the love of God toward you, and you don't filter it through the fact of the cross of Calvary, then you have a perverted view of God's love. The cross demonstrated God's love to mankind, but demonstrating His love was not the primary purpose. Isaiah 53, verse number 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. 
That's His only begotten Son. That is the same man when John baptized Him that the Spirit of God came down in the form of a dove and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That same man, when he hung on Calvary's cross, the Bible said that it pleased God to bruise him. Why is that? Why would God the Father find pleasure in the suffering and the bruising and the brutality of His precious Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary? Because... The primary purpose of the cross was to reconcile us to God. To reconcile sinful man. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were nigh. That's talking about the Jews were nigh. The Gentiles were far off, but thank God it got preached to all of us. Amen? And we were at enmity. We were on the outside looking in. God didn't want us in. Not without redeeming us and saving us. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, there can be no peace with God. Colossians 1, verse number 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. God looks down upon sinful humanity and He's angry. He's disgusted. Just as disgusted as He was in the days of Noah. And He looks down and it's like they have no hope whatsoever. What can I do to satisfy my holiness. Well, I can send my son to take their punishment. And once my holiness has been satisfied, then I don't have to view them as lawbreakers. I don't have to view them as enemies. They can be viewed, they can be viewed with propitiation. Why? Because my son took what they had coming to them. Do you know everything that Jesus went through on the cross of Calvary? You and I had it coming. Well, I'm not that bad. Listen, you're bad enough for Jesus to have to go through that for you. If you think that you're, you're not fully deserving of everything that Jesus got, you're self-deceived and you're full of pride and that pride comes from Satan himself. We are wicked to the core and we are selfish. And that is why Jesus had to go through what He went through on the cross. And through that, praise the Lord, we can have peace with a holy God. Not only peace with God, but when I think about that inner peace. Have you noticed how people seek inner peace today? How do they seek inner peace? Well, You know, some people find inner peace through yoga, meditation, you know, put their body, I I don't, I'm not sure what this does, but it must be good. You know, that actually hurts. (laughs) Um, Yoga, sex, 
drugs and alcohol. Can you, can you believe the abuse of drugs and alcohol? There are people, even believers, that cannot live without that beer or that glass of wine because I need that after a stressful day. You know what your problem is? Your problem is you don't have inner peace. You can have inner peace without sin, without distraction, without addicting things that cause you health problems and legal problems and psychological and emotional and relational problems. Listen, some people find peace through their accomplishments. Well, I've got these goals, and if I just reach this goal, then I'll be satisfied. How's that work? As soon as they reach it, They think, I just need a little bit more. I need to rework my goals. I need to keep doing more, getting more, accomplishing more. And if I ever get to a certain point, I'll be content and I'll have inner peace. And it never, ever happens. Relationships, etc. That's what people think will bring inner peace. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ is the only source of inner peace. I don't know if you've seen this bumper sticker. It was years ago, but it's worth worth showing you. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And that is so true, folks. And then number two, my second and last point, once you've made peace with God, once you've been reconciled, you can experience the peace of God, that inner peace. Paul told the church at Philippi, Philippians 4, verse 7, he said, And the peace of God, which passeth passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God offers inner peace to us, brothers and sisters. If you have peace with God, God wants us to have the peace of God. Inner peace uh, cannot be produced. It has to be maintained. I guess what I mean by that is you cannot create your own inner peace, but you can certainly mess up the inner peace that God has offered you. Romans 8, verse number 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you are not walking with God and walking in the Spirit, fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, living according to the precepts of the Word of God and following Him every day of your life, then you're carnally minded. Your mind is thinking like the world thinks, like lost people think. And that only produces death and condemnation. But if we're spiritually minded, then that produces life and peace. And then I want to throw this one in for free before I go to the conclusion, and that is Psalm 119, verse 165 that says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Hey, listen, we got a thin-skinned bunch of believers in modern, in, in today's generation. People so easily offended. Preacher says something that they don't like or they don't agree with, they get offended and they, they leave. Uh, somebody doesn't treat them the way that they think that they ought to be treated. Somebody fails or, you know what, sometimes people, you say, well, people, they weren't friendly to me. 
you ever thought for a minute that maybe they're there and thinking you're not friendly to them? You know, I learned a long time ago, and, and listen, I, I'm in all honesty, when I get around, when I get in crowds, I, I'm not comfortable. Now, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable in this crowd. That's because, I mean, I've been pastoring here for uh, over 13 years, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with you. I know you, and you know me, and so we have good fellowship. But when you get around a bunch of people that you either don't know or you haven't been around them for a long time, when I get around that, I'm uncomfortable. And it used to not bring out the best in me. I would either act dumb, you know, try to try to be the, the class clown and um, usually try to make people laugh. And my way of making people laugh is usually through wisecracks and so I usually end up offending more people than I make laugh. Or sometimes I just clam up and I just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm self-conscious and awkward. And you know what the Lord, the Lord showed me a long time ago? Quit thinking about yourself. Put your antennas down. Do they like me? Do they accept me? What are they thinking about me? Put your antennas down and just start emanating acceptance. May, try to make the people around you comfortable and quit worrying about whether they're making you comfortable. And you know what I found? I found that, you know, crowds aren't so bad after all. I kind of like being around people because I don't have to worry about whether they like me or approve of me or whatever. I just try to show them that I like them and I approve of them. It's a wonderful thing to learn. I wish I'd have learned it earlier. So in conclusion... Human conflict comes from selfishness, pride, and a lack of faith. Proverbs 13, verse number 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. When we don't have peace in our lives, when we don't have world peace, it is because of pride, because only God's Word says the only source of contention is pride. If you have contention and conflict in your life, you can trace it back to pride and selfishness every single time. James said in his gospel, James 4, verse number 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. God's saying, look, you are... You are trying to get what you want. And listen, this isn't just talking about global wars and conflicts in the Middle East. It's talking about conflicts in a, in a family, conflicts in a church. And it may not mean that you're literally trying to kill someone to, to take their car from them. It, it may just simply mean that you're not getting what you want. And, and listen, holidays are notorious for conflict. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, well, we're supposed to get together at grandma's house, or we're supposed to do this, or we're supposed to do that, or I get, I got them this gift and they didn't get me anything. They didn't even act like they appreciate, you know, and the whole people just start, a lot of times Christmas season just brings out all of this conflict and the whole time the Lord said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
Wouldn't you agree we, we miss the reason for the season? If we ever get a reader board out there, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's pretty original, right? But it's true. <laughs> Conflict, it's because we want our way or we think that this is what somebody should have done. And, and, and instead of getting on our knees and saying, Lord, would you help with this? We fight to get what we want. It may not be with our fists. It may be with our words. It may be with our attitude, but the result is conflict. And we're trying to get our way, and God says, you have not because you ask not. And you say, well, I did pray, God. I prayed, God, show them that they're not doing me right. And the Lord says, when you ask, you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Hey, things aren't going your way. You're not getting what you want. Get on your knees and say, God, help me to be content with what you give me. Help me to be content with how people are treating me. Bottom line. Bottom line, and I'll close. Our opening text, verse number 14, said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace goodwill toward men. Peace and goodwill toward men will never happen until there is glory to God in the highest. If we would start living our life totally for the glory of God, not for expected results, not to get what we want, not for self-glory, but just, God, I'm going to do right because I want you to get glory. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve and be involved. And I'm going to do all these things because I want you to get glory. Listen, wouldn't you agree that I should be up here preaching to you for the glory of God? Wouldn't you agree that you ought to be sitting there listening for the glory of God? Wouldn't you agree that you ought to be faithful to your spouse for the glory of God? Wouldn't you agree that you ought to witness and tell people about Jesus Christ for the glory of God? If we would just start living our life for the glory of God, there would certainly be more peace in this world. There'd be more peace in our life. If not around us, certainly we'd have more peace in us. Are you living your life? For the glory of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Christmas message of the birth of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what the angels said, announcing your coming. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We know that you want us to have peace. We know that you want us to have goodwill. And I pray, Father, that you would first help every one of us to have peace with you. Lord, if there be anyone here that has not been reconciled to you, I pray that you would lead them to repentance and a faith in Christ. If there be any believer that doesn't have that inner peace that you have offered to us all, I pray, Father, that we would start living for your glory and honor.
not for self. We would love your word and that we would stop being selfish. Help us, Father, to live for your glory and honor that we might have the peace of God in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain seated, heads bowed and eyes closed. This is the time to respond to what we've heard here today. World peace. I, I, I know there's going to be world peace, but it's not going to happen until Revelation 19 and verse number 11 when the Prince of Peace comes back. And, uh, you know, he's not going to accomplish it the way that most people would think. He's going to come back with a a rod of iron and eyes as a flame of fire. He's going to bring peace through strength. But I do know that the Word of God says that there's going to come a time on planet Earth where all of the swords are going to be beaten into plowshares. We're going to take those weapons and we're going to use them for growing crops. There's a time when the lion and the lamb are going to lay down together and where your little child can be playing out in the yard right next to the poisonous, venomous snake's den and there'll be no harm. But that all comes from Jesus Christ and in the meantime, we can experience that peace personally if we'll just repent and trust God Trust the gospel, the cross of Calvary, the blood that he shed upon Calvary's cross to make peace with a holy God. And then we can have the peace of God ruling and reigning in our hearts. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. I'd like to ask Brother Ralph Harding if you would close us in prayer. Uh, good to see everyone here this morning. Some of you we haven't seen for a while, and it is just a joy to have you here. Always a joy to have you, and uh, trust that um, you will have a good week. We'll look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. I'm excited as a pastor to have everyone in here for a little bit of time. Uh, you know, the Wednesday night preaching and teaching is a little bit uh, different, a little more pastoral, a little more um, details, nuts and bolts and so forth. And then I'm looking forward to our Sunday night service being back as well. And I've got some things that have been on my heart that I'm going to be uh, teaching and preaching for a while. But uh, we've also got some really good preachers here in the congregation that I'm going to plug in on occasion on Sunday night as well. And so do be praying that we will be the church that God wants us to be. Keep going and growing forward for the Lord. And uh, let's uh, let's get a heart and a vision once again to try to reach our community 
for Jesus Christ. Would you please pray about that and pray for one another that God would bless Temple Baptist Church. Brother Harding, if you would close us in prayer when he's finished praying, then you are dismissed.